good morning, almost the afternoon. Good morning. You're all well. Wonderful. It's good to see you all. It really, really is. I don't see you guys at home, but it's good to, well, feel you. I don't know. Know that you're there. I do. I do mean that. All right. So, um, I'd love to get into the Word this morning. And uh, we had, as you know, an encounter night last night. It was a good time. It was a good time. Uh, it just, yeah, it was just a good time. It's good to worship the Lord together and be in His presence, and it's just wonderful to see just the freedom that has come, if I can just uh, be honest, not that I've been lying, but, uh, you know, you see measures of freedom come to a church or a person or a group of people, and, um, and you just see the worship expression become freer and freer and freer, and um, when you have people dancing in Northern Virginia, then you know... God's doing something, so it's wonderful. You know, um, I'm sorry to do this. I'm, I'm not too sorry, but um, Michael, Galvin, could you come here one second? Sorry. Come up here with me, buddy. This young man, I met him. He's not so small anymore. Um, I met him when he was smaller, and uh, he was much smaller. And, uh, and at a youth retreat, and God really, you know, over the years got a hold of him, and he's just become like a son to me, even though he has a wonderful father, but just a spiritual son. And he's just going away for three years, and I know we can't do this for everyone who leaves. It's just the Lord put it in my heart now. He's uh, in the military, and um, so he's going off for three years. And I just wonder if I can, yeah, awesome. Now... <clears throat> I know he's, he's going to, he's not being deployed, he's going to California, right? On base? Uh, yes, and deployed. deployed from there. So I just wanted to pray for him. Can you guys join me with that? Father, I thank you for this wonderful, not small man. <laughs> Lord, and I just thank you for your hand on his life. And Lord, I just pray and I thank you that your blood protects this man and that he is yours. Now, whatever he goes into, he will remain yours. Father, I thank you personally for him. And I pray just for the things, even as Paul said to Timothy and Titus, just a true spiritual son, Lord, and the things that you have given me, I pray, release to him. Lord, I just pray. He is yours, Lord. And I thank you for your heart for this young man. And so in Jesus' name, we bless him. We bless him today. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, first time I prayed for him, it was like this. And now it's like that. So, you know when you pray, you pray for some men, and you put the hand on their stomach, obviously, and you feel like their abs are so big, like they're going to bite you. You know? <laughs> that's that young man. It's just wonderful. So... All right, I wonder if you could open in your Bibles to the book of Acts. And um, we're going to go through Acts. We're not going to go through the whole book. I'm not sure how far we'll get today. Um, but the book of Acts is like a tonic. Uh, I heard a gentleman that I greatly respect once refer to it like that. And it is like a tonic. It's, oh, I'm so sorry. Tommy, could you grab my water, please? Sorry, every week I forget. No, that one down there. Uh, it's like a tonic. The more you read the book of Acts, it just starts to impact you and starts to change you. 
Um, and so we want to go through it a little bit. And, you know, I read it because a lot of people, they read the book of Acts and they say they long for what they see. And that is true, even though it was the baby church, we've all heard that, and it was growing up, they certainly had issues. You go through the book of Acts, they had their differences, they had their issues. I actually love just the reality of it. But what did they know or understand, or what truth did they come to, to see what you see here? You know, and so often the opinion is, it's just a great move of the Spirit, and it is, but this was many, many years that you see in the book of Acts, in this perpetual continuation of God's kingdom breaking into culture, breaking into worlds, breaking into families. And I believe with all my heart that it was what they knew to be true. And there are certain perspectives that, uh, I don't know if I'm going to read them, I may read them next week, that they had that we need, <laughs> that we need desperately today. And so what took them from the disciples who, who ran away, who ran away from Jesus when he went to the cross. They'd been with him for three years. They'd ministered in power. They'd seen amazing things. They were the most equipped. We, we sometimes speak of them as like, you know, a little disciple. They were the most equipped people on the face of the earth in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And yet, when the cross, when it was time for the cross, they ran, except for John, which John points out for sure. But they all ran. And what took them from that, from Peter who denied him, what took them from that to what you see in Acts? What changed? And what did they come to understand? What were they convinced of that perhaps we are not? And so I wanted to quickly uh, look at, actually, can I read, I'm going to read some perspectives. This is not supposed to be part of the sermon um, these, what I'm about to read to you, um, may be offensive. It, they probably will be. I'm okay with it. Jesus was the rock of offense. So um, these are not in a performance-driven culture, which is the culture we're in. You read this, people instantly feel pressure. These things don't come to a human heart through study or striving, only but by the Spirit. And so as I've been studying this over the years, I keep going back to this book. And as I look at it, and I keep saying, Lord... Show me, help me, change me. And in between the lines, in a sense, I see certain perspectives or attitudes that they had that I just want to quickly read to you. Firstly, that it's not about us. <laughs> they really believed and understood that. Also, that Christ was their lens for Scripture, not the other way around. And that may, some people may struggle with that. I understand that the Scripture is the Word of God, but they knew the Word of God, which they had up to that point, off by heart. And when they met Jesus, He changed what they thought it meant. That relationship with Jesus changed what they understood. And that's still the same today. There was no fear of man, none whatsoever. None whatsoever. Um, there was no anger towards the Jewish temple system because they had been cut off from all distribution of bread and food. And, and there was no anger towards Rome, the ruling state. None whatsoever. There was no, uh, also, however, no fear of punishment or pain or death. <laughs> they were not there to fight the ruling state with politics or with legality. They preached Jesus and they demonstrated the kingdom. That's, that's early Christians. 
They believed they had the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had. And you know what? They went wrong. Their rights were seemingly irrelevant to them. And I understand that can be offensive, but it wasn't a different culture, and I understand that. Their political culture was not the ruling culture. It was under Rome. So they grew up with that understanding as well. Uh, exorbitant generosity. You see it through the book of Acts. They were completely self-funded. There was absolute obedience. There was no flippancy with sin. There wasn't through striving or, or legalism. or uh, They were actually coming out of that system of the law, and yet there was no... There was absolute obedience because of the love that they had for Jesus Christ. And they preached strongly that they were made righteous by his righteousness. They had become convinced that it was not about an earthly kingdom. They weren't convinced in this even in the beginning of the book. But they became convinced of that as it goes through, that it was not about an earthly kingdom. And therefore, they used no earthly means. They used no earthly means. They employed no earthly means, nor did they fight people in order to advance the kingdom but they used spiritual means. Their cultural comforts and understandings were turned upside down, inside out, and yet they remained unified. They had far more opportunity to be offended than we do, far more, and they were not. It's profound. Uh, and lastly, they did not struggle with the nature of God, with his goodness, because they had just walked with Jesus for three years. And he said, if you want to know what the Father's like, look at me. And he never turned anyone away. And so they walked into it without an understanding of trying to, you know, this, this pressure, this God's trying to catch me. They, 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 that was broken. They didn't think that way. They knew God is good. It's interesting, is it not? Yes, Clay, great chat. So... Um, so, I, now I've gone to another document, so if you excuse me. So, I do pray that today, as we look at this, I encourage us to open our hearts, not to me, but to the Word, to the Word. It's, it's not a, I wish we weren't in a performance culture, I really do, but to open our hearts to the Word, and we bend our lives around the Word, or do we bend the Word around our lives? I always say that, and it's a, it's a profound statement. And so, we want to bend our lives around the Word. So, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to jump into it. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the absolute authority of your word. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here with us today and that you authored this word. And so we come to you, Holy Spirit. You are the author. And I pray that you awaken truth in people's hearts today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's begin to read. I'm going to read a lot of Scripture today, and you're all very excited about that, right? Yay! All right, the former account, I'm going to read Acts 1 to 8, and then we'll jump around a bit. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which He was taken up, after He, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom He had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering. There was actually about 10 or 11 appearances that Jesus made to them uh, before he was ascended. After his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait 
for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, verse 6, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Can I say he didn't say no, he just said not now. Just a thought. Just said not now. He said, is it, because they were still thinking political kingdom. Jesus, there's a covenant that God has made with David that the Messiah will sit on his throne, and there's a lot that we can get into with that. But they're always thinking political, natural, in this world. And he said, not now. And he said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. I mean, how do you argue with that? Just say, okay. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, I'm going to try actually get to Acts 2 today, but I have to give us layer foundation. Whenever you hear a preacher say layer foundation, when I was a young uh, teenager and I would hear preachers say, we have to lay a foundation, I'd be like, oh boy. But you do have to. So firstly, Theophilus, the former account I made Theophilus. To understand that, uh, firstly, his name means friend of God or lover of God. It doesn't say whether he was saved or not. Um, but what struck me is that it's written by Luke, this book, and he wrote, obviously, the book, the Gospel of Luke. And he addressed the Gospel of Luke to him, too. He calls him the most excellent Theophilus. So he was obviously a person of high rank, because that's a title. But what strikes me is we have this today because Luke did it for the one. The effort he went through for one person for the message of the kingdom, for, for one person. We have two books. Just think about that. It was so passionate for one person. And then it says, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Well, Jesus is alive. And so just this book called Acts of the Apostles, I, it's, it's not, no, in the book does it call it that. That's a name I think a guy named Irenaeus came up with that in the second century. I've scratched that out because that's not what the book's about. <laughs> the, book's, the book is about the acts of Jesus Christ. It's what everything Jesus both began to do and to teach, meaning it's still Jesus doing it. It's still Jesus revealing. It's still Jesus teaching through followers of Jesus Christ. And just the title alone causes people to kind of sit back and say, well, they were these amazing special people, and, and we come up with all these doctrines just because of the title. God never gave it that title. It was the actions of people who fell in love with Jesus. And it's an unfinished book. It never ends. It just kind of stops because it's still happening today. So... Then it says to wait, in verse 4, for the promise of the Father. And he actually says to the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. You have heard from me. So he talks about the promise of the Father, and he says, it's what I was telling you guys about. So when did that happen? Now, we are going to very quickly, are you guys still with me? We're going to go to John chapter 14. Go down your Bibles to John. It's just one book back. 
It's not too difficult. John 14, I'm going to read again verse 6 to 17. Jesus said to him, who of you have a physical Bible? Here. (laughs) Here. I encourage you with all my heart, read out of a physical Bible. I love electronics too, but I just don't have the time to get into that. Why? But it's, it's actually wonderful. So, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That was offensive, still offensive today. If you had known me, you would, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you have known him and seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. He obviously didn't know the Bible too well, because the Old Testament says, if you see the face of God, you'll die. So, but Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. You see the submission of Jesus? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. It's a fascinating verse. Words turned to works. The words I speak, they're not mine. My Father does the works. kind of makes no sense, but it makes a lot of sense. It shows you the absolute submission important for your words not to be yours. And then that leads to the miraculous. Absolute submission. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. You know, before his resurrection and ascension, Jesus himself pointed to the miraculous and the demonstrations of the kingdom as his proof of his messiahship. For those who didn't believe him, he said, if you don't believe in me, believe in the works. They were astounding, and they were common, and there were many. Then he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. People have tried to explain that verse away for many, many years, because it has not been their experience. But I just believe that it means just what it says. And I believe that they believed that. That's what he said, so that's what we'll do. See, as we look at Acts, and I know now we're in John, my heart is, because it's something that I do personally, it's something I believe the Lord wants us to do, is to look at it as if you were them, as if you were on the ground, as if you were in their culture, as if we can understand it. What was it like for them? And sometimes it's a bit tedious, sometimes, but I tell you, when you start to see that, it offers up incredible revelation. When you start to think, this is what they thought, this is what they believed, and then we have a cultural challenge, and then we have a choice. They just believed that. Most assuredly, I say, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do. Why? Because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So... Very, 
Very, very important. So we read that. The words I speak to you, I do not speak in my own authority. Who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Well, he gave them a clue about submission in words. But he said, the works that I do, you will do also. Why? So he said, because I'm leaving. So go down to verse 15. I'm just going to read it. They'll come up behind you. Verse 15 and 16, he says, John 14 says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Now he's telling them how these works are going to happen. You see, this John 13 to John 17 is what some preachers would call the farewell discourse. It's the last thing that Jesus says to them. It's all one conversation in the upper room. And Jesus literally waits for Judas to leave, and then he starts this incredible truth, this incredible teaching on the Holy Spirit from Christ himself, and that is called the farewell. It's his last thing. He's like, you guys need to get this. You guys really need to get this before I go to the cross. And so he says, you'll do these works, which to them you can imagine what that felt like. Then he says in verse 16, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither, does it, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's salvation. John 14, 26, the helper, there it is again, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. 1526, but the helper, when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he proceeds from the Father. Why is that important? What did he tell them? Greater works than you will do, then you will do what I do, pretty much. That he said, it's not me who does the works, it's the Father in me. Then he says, I'm going to send you a helper. He proceeds from the Father. It's the very nature and heart of God. He's going to come and he's going to live inside of you. And they go, oh, that's how that's going to work. (laughs) That's how that's going to work. Then in 16, he says, now I go away to him who sent me. Sorry, John 16, verse 5 to 7. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Imagine you were walking with Jesus and he says, listen, I'm out. It's been good, goodbye. And they were like, whoa, whoa, not so much. And it's so important for them to understand this power of the Holy Spirit, this person of the Godhead, of the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father. He says, I'm going to leave, but if I don't leave, he won't come. And when that happens, it's actually to your advantage. And they understood, oh, that which you have, Jesus, inside of you and all around you and upon you, you have to leave so that we can have that too. They weren't wrong. (laughs) That word another, he says... He will give you another helper, John 14, 16. We have to understand what that meant to them. It means another of the same sort. So God, Jesus says, I'm sending you another helper. In other words, I'm sending you another of the same sort. What he's saying to them is something that the church today needs to desperately grab a hold of. The Holy Spirit to you guys, he's saying, will be everything to you who I am now. 
He was their teacher. He was their master. He was their guide. He was the one who resourced them with power and authority. He would teach them. He would show them. Now he gives this teaching on the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm sending you another one of the same sort. He will now be to you who I am now. He will be your teacher. He will be your guide. He literally lists it. He will make things known to you. He will reveal to you. He will resource you. He will do everything that I've been doing. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will be everything to you, will be to you everything that I have been to you. Now, it's the same for you and I. The Holy Spirit to us, and I ask you, very not in a harsh way, if we believe it, the Holy Spirit to us is everything that Jesus was to them. It's like having Jesus alive physically like when he was on the earth in your home. That's Jesus saying, that's who the Holy Spirit is to believers. That's actually who he is. He is to us everything Jesus was to them. So, he raises, he goes to the cross, into the grave, gets resurrected, and the first thing he does is he comes to the disciples, the same day of his resurrection, and he appears in a room, and it's funny because he has to say peace twice. Peace to you, and they're freaking out, so he says it again, because I think we would freak out. It's just, boom, there he is, and that's what happened. John 20, verse 19, 20, 21, and 22. But then he, he breathes on them, <sighs> receive the Holy Spirit. First thing he does. That's salvation. The Father in the Old Testament breathed life into Adam. When they sinned, that life, that image, was bent and corrupted and broken. So Jesus, the second Adam, breathes life into believers. Now that's the new life. That's salvation. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Their heart was changed. They became new. They became made different. Everything changed inside of them. And we need that new heart, that new nature. We absolutely need it. Paul, Jesus calls it being born again. Paul calls it being a new creation in Christ. That's in John 20. Whew, receive the Holy Spirit. And they were changed. You know, you can take a pig and wash it with soap and dress it real nice, put a suit on it, lipstick, maybe bathe it in some sort of perfume, whatever, make it beautiful, and bring it into the room with all the people and sit him up there with the glasses and put a wig on and say, look at this wonderful gentleman. You know, look at how, because you can make him look like a person. But he's a pig. Why? His heart is a pig. You open the door and you let him go outside, watch what he does. He'll do pig things. <laughs> right? This is a lot what happens in the church today. Dress like this, talk like this, look like this, look at this good Christian. But without being born again, the new heart, we desperately need the new, the new life of God. So when he breathed on them in John 20, he put a new nature into them. <laughs> Saved. Absolutely. Then 40 days go by. He walks with them, teaching them things of the kingdom. As it said, let's go back. Let's go back to Acts now, because that's actually what we come here to do. He says, he walked with them, teaching them the things of the kingdom. Then he says, wait for the promise of the Father. They knew what that was, because that's what he called it in John 14. That entire teaching, my Father will send you. I promise my Father, the promise of my Father. And they've received the Holy Spirit in John 20. 
Then he says, wait for the promise of my father. He says, as you have heard from me. You know everything I told you about? Yeah, wait for that. And they're like, what? We did that. 40 days ago. Don't you remember, Lord? We were scared. You just appeared. You know the whole thing? Yeah, we did that. But then he says, what? You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then he says this, verse 8, but you shall receive power. You know, in all of the teaching on the Holy Spirit, he taught on the ways of the Spirit, how he will work, what he will do. He will take of what is mine. He will make it known to you. He will testify to me. He will be a guide to you. He will be the Spirit of truth. He will convict the world of sin. He showed them, this is what the Holy Spirit will do. He will be to you everything I am. There's one thing he never says. He never uses the word power. He said, this is what he will do inside you. This is how he will transform you. This is how we'll change you. This is how we'll communicate with you. And so then he breathes on them with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who proceeds from the God, the Father himself. And then they receive that and they're saved and they've, they're made new and they have a new heart. And Luke 24, it says, suddenly understanding came to them when that happened. They went, oh, we understand. Because they can spiritually discern things now. The Bible says without the Spirit, you cannot, be, you cannot discern spiritual things. They become born again. Then he says, oh, you have to go wait for the promise of my Father. He says, and when he comes, you will receive power. Huh. And they go, oh, the greater works. Yes, you will receive power inside of you. Sorry. And you do. <laughs> he comes to give you a a power, but it's not yours to own. It's his. And to the degree you belong to him, he will use you. But it's, it's interesting, he says, you will receive power to be my witnesses, not to be a good witnessing person. That's, a ver that's not a verb, not to be a good witnesser. To be, you will become something. It's a noun, that's actually a noun, you go look it up. You will become something different. Because being saved, the Bible says in John, you take a drink and in you the water of life will become like a fountain. That's salvation. But this is immersed, baptized. Jesus used the phrase, baptized, dunked into the person of the Holy Spirit, saturated, and he rests on top of you. That's a very different thing. Very different thing. And he says you will receive power to be witnesses, to become something that you are not now. <laughs> And that word witnesses is the word martyr, actually, in the Greek. He says, because that what you become, you will run around testifying, being an eyewitness of my resurrection and my ascension in my life. You will be an eyewitness. That's actually what it means. And he says, but it may lead to your death. So this power that you will receive, it's not just ministry power. It is power to demonstrate the kingdom. But it's also the power to keep that old man, that nature that we killed in John 20, to keep that down. Power for change, for transformation. To demonstrate the kingdom and to become the kingdom. You will receive power. So, how are we going to get to Acts 2? Help us, Jesus. Empowered to live a new life. So then they go wait in Jerusalem. 
in the next few weeks, we're probably going to go over this same chapter as many times, but from different perspectives. Because when we see certain things, I tell you, friends, it brings a freedom and a revelation to you that will change you. Then, go to chapter 2. They, do, they go do a bunch of things. <laughs> they appoint other people and so forth. And then, 10 days later, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. By the way, what, is the word, what does the word Pentecost mean? Who knows? 50. It has to do with Jubilee, which we'll get into next year. I mean, next year. Yeah, it's going to take a long time. <laughs> next, next week, maybe. It has to do with the coming of Jubilee. It has to do with the, the inaugural address that Jesus Christ gave out of Isaiah when he was baptized. And he came out and he picked up the scroll and then out of, read out of Luke 4. The year of the favor of our Lord to set free the prisoners, to open the sight for the blind. It was his inaugural address as the Messiah. And it has to do with Jubilee. When all slaves are set free, when all debts are paid, everything is done every 50 years. That word means 50. So the Holy Spirit comes to enact a spiritual Jubilee for those who have him. All debts paid. We'll get into that. In the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with one accord and in one place. And there suddenly came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They had come for the Feast of Pentecost. They had come from all over the known world, even from the island of Crete. And when the sound occurred, a multitude came together. They were confused because they heard everyone, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who dwell in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya joining to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. So a whole bunch of people, Okay. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are drunk. They are full of new wine. They were right spiritually. But they said, no, these guys are drunk. Now, so we have 120 believers in a room, about 120. They've been waiting for 10 days. Can I just say this? What was the prerequisite for the Holy Spirit to come in their mind? We have all these things. We need faith. We need this. Someone needs to touch me. Someone. What was it for them? Jesus had to leave, and we have to stay here. That's it. So they did that. And they wait. And they pray. And they wait. And Acts chapter 2 comes. Ten days goes by, and suddenly... A sound fills the room. I'm not just trying to dramatize this, but I'm trying to put us there on the ground. Saved, new nature, but they're waiting for equipment to do what Jesus said they would do. So they wait. And a sound fills the room. Can I say, I've seen pictures of people's hair blowing. There was no wind. 
it was a sound as of a rushing wind. There was no fire. It was tongues as of fire. And it's a like that fills the room. You know, a hurricane, they say, sounds like a train. That happened. Out of heaven, out of the blue, just And then they look around, and they see these things sitting on people's heads, which is extremely important, by the way. (laughs) There's so much in this, I could just, every little word we could get into. Because it happened in the old covenant, at the confirmation of that covenant, but it was over the nation. Why? Because God dealt with them as a nation. Now it's over individual people. Because Jesus has opened the veil. Now there's no earthly mediator, and it's an individual. So they say, what is this? And then they realize they changed. (laughs) They realize they've received something. Something changed. What's happening? Something's changed. (laughs) Actually, I've got a picture. I don't know if they have it. Does it come up? That happened. That happened. Then they open their mouth and a foreign language starts to come out. And in our Western mind, our linear thinking, we so box what happened here. (laughs) Now it happened one time. It will happen again, but it's not going to be this exact, he's God. But this was the Holy Spirit coming to earth as prophesied by Ezekiel. He left the temple. Why? Because people were were controlling him. They said, God will do this, God will do this, God will do this, because... People were trying to attack Jerusalem back in Ezekiel's day. Holy Spirit said, really? Goodbye. And he left. That's the best, shortest description. And he left. He said, but when I come back, I'm going to come for the heart. I will turn your heart to liquid inside of your chest and change you and give you a new nature. This is what happened here. (laughs) So he changed them. Something happened. So this is a one-time thing. But yet throughout the history, you see the Spirit coming again. But He's already here on the earth. He really is. And He comes and uh, it says they spoke what? People say, oh, they preached the gospel. No. You know, they didn't preach the gospel. They spoke of the wondrous works of God, the miraculous, the power, the authority of God. That's what they spoke. They didn't just give the gospel. Not that that's a just. I love the gospel. But these people are listening to the works, greater works. They were speaking about the things they've just been equipped to do. (laughs) They open their mouth and other languages come out. And even that, we box that, which we'll break those boxes next week. You're not filled with the Spirit unless you speak in tongues rubbish. It's just not true. It's not true. That's a prayer language people speak about. This wasn't a prayer language. This was a supernatural ability to speak another language of the earth that you've never learned. And why were they perceived to be drunk? Well, there were two groups of people. They're Hellenists and in Hebrew, Hebraists. Hellenists were all those groups of people. They were born elsewhere with different language, different culture, but were Jews in race, born everywhere else, or they'd be proselytized, they'd become Jew. 
And they came, these devout people. They were devout because they came back for the feast. Not all the Jews did, but these were devout Jews, man. They came back, traveled all the way to come for the feast. And they spoke all these languages. Then, that's verse 12. Verse 13, others mocking. People say, oh, they were stumbling around because they were drunk. Actually, you know they weren't. That's speaking about local people, which you'll see in the next few verses. It's speaking about locals who didn't understand that language, men of Judea and those who dwell in Jerusalem. They didn't understand the language. It sounded like incoherent babbling. They said, these guys are drunk. <laughs> That's actually what happened. They were perfectly anointed in authority, in order, declaring the works of God. They weren't fools falling about. This is the Holy Spirit. This is, proceeds from the Father with absolute power. <laughs> so let's read. What's the time? Oh, wow. God is so good. So, but Peter, so what happens? Peter stands up to preach. And I'm going to have to run through this quick, but it's important. Peter standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. He's speaking to the people that were mocking. He wasn't speaking to all the other crowds. You see that? It's actually right there in Scripture. And you know what's interesting is whenever the supernatural shows up, you will see different responses. You see it in the few verses before. It says some were amazed, some were perplexed, some marveled, some mocked. You will always have those four responses. Whenever that, even if it's really God, He shows up, some will mock, some will be amazed, some will just like, well, this is too much. I'm, mm -mm, no, goodbye. That is what happened here. And He says, so He stands up, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. That means nine o'clock in the morning. I know some of you are thinking, well, I mean, before, if you go all night, you know. But that's not what happened here. <laughs> for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what does Peter do? He stands up and he says, this that's going on here, this is that, what Joel said. And they were like, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, this is that. And they're, literally they're doing it. So yeah, yeah, this, what is he saying? Jesus is the Messiah. This, the Messiah did this. Jesus is who the Old Testament was pointing to. This is actually the point he's making to Jewish people. And some of them crucified Jesus. He said, everything was pointing to Christ. 
It was prophesied, and this is what that is. <laughs> yeah. Because in the Old Testament, the coming of the kingdom, they thought political, even as the disciples did. He goes, no, this is that. So Peter stands up, begins to preach, and declare what's actually happening. And to them, friends, we have to understand, not only was it individual, that has never happened. He's saying, guys, we can now be transformed and become changed from the inside out. It is not like the law from the outside in. They believed that the way to evangelize the world as Jews was everyone would be proselytized. They would be baptized according to the way Jewish did it. They would have to decircum all these circumcised and different things and know the Torah and they would become Jew and through that, that was their system of evangelizing. And he's saying, guys, it's not about making everyone look like us, but it's about making us look like him. Because they were thinking, so they said, we're going to save the world by making everyone, by making everyone like us. And Peter's saying, guys, it's, it's way better than that. Way better than that. It's not about from the outside in. It's from the inside out. He's actually changing us to look like him, both in this age and then in the age to come. That, and he's saying, Jesus was the Messiah. That's actually what he's saying. He is our prototype. And this is not just about the law. He actually, his very own spirit, Yahweh, Adonai, El Shaddai, he said he put his actual spirit in us and on us, just as Joel said. <laughs> but we couldn't see it. This is what that is. And they're like, what? It changes everything. No more law. Law was fulfilled. No more sacrifices. Don't dress like this anymore. Don't eat that food anymore. All their whole life changed, just like that. Everything they do from the morning to night, every, the way they think, the way they pray, the, what they were looking forward to, everything different. Boom, just like that. <laughs> you, you think we have some difficulty with change. I mean, friends, it was radical to them. They're like, what? <laughs> and it's seriously good news. Imagine being a little Jewish boy and hearing, the law is fulfilled, son. We didn't know that it was for a point A to a point B. Actually, it's much, the Messiah is much more than we thought. The law is fulfilled. Believe on him, and when you wake up, you live as if you fulfilled it. Because <laughs> Jesus puts his own righteousness on you. I mean, it's... To, anyway, <laughs> it really is incredible. That's why it's good news. To them, they were like, what? That is good news. Really good news. Really good news. So, it's as if they're saying, who would have ever imagined this? But it's true. Look at them. They're like, look at, look at them. Look what they're doing. It's true. What I'm saying is true. <laughs> The next thing, oh, she was. Jesus, then he says this, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Say it with me. A man. Don't be offended. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him, as Jesus said, in your midst, as you yourselves know. 
Now, there's a doctrine called hypostatic union. I've got a whole page here of all Jesus was fully God and fully man. And we say that, we say that like we know it, most don't. We need to understand what that means. But in his ministry, he put off his divinity. Philippians, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. John 5, of myself I can do nothing. Acts 2, as a man, Jesus of Nazareth, that's his humanity. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the man who went about doing good and healing all of those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Fully man, fully God. Before Abraham was, I am, he said. It says the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in him bodily. So fully man, fully God. But when it came to ministry, Jesus operated as a man in perfect submission to the Father, filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why is that so important? He was a man anointed with the Spirit. Yes, he's God, I understand. The King of kings, I get that. Believers, unbelievers struggle with the fully God part. Believers struggle with the fully man part because this puts a responsibility upon them. He was anointed with the Spirit and rightly related, rightly related to God. In other words, he had the Spirit of God in him, baptized in the Spirit, and righteous. Now, that's a very simple truth, but it's profound in impact. Why? Because we are called to be anointed, baptized by the Spirit, and rightly related to God, but not like Jesus living a perfect sinless life. He did that on your behalf, and He gave you His own righteousness, because that's something you could never do. You know, I'm going to have to stop here. There's a more points, but we'll get into them next week. Just what Peter's sermon, what is he actually saying? Peter is saying here, this gift is for you guys. He's speaking to the crowd. This gift is for you. It's not special people like in the Old Testament. It's not priests, judges, and kings. It's for you. Look at verse 38, 39. He says, Peter said, repent and let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, what promise? The promise of the Father. For the promise is to you and to your children and all who are afar off, and as many as our Lord will call. It's so he says, guys, it's for you. The same spirit, as you can see what's happening, God wants to put that in you and on you. Oh, and guess what? It's not something you qualify like in the law. It's not like that. Remember, it's different now. Jesus fulfilled that. When he breathes his spirit into you, when you get saved, you'll actually become righteous in the sight of God, rightly related. Jesus took care of that part. <laughs> and he poured out his spirit upon us. Why? People say, to make me like Jesus. Now, I understand that's true. Is no one will ever again be like Jesus. But collectively, please hear this. What was the, pre Jesus said, you will do greater works than I. Then he said, what? I'm going to leave, right? He said, but first I have to leave. Very important. We say, oh, we're going to be like Jesus. No, not one person will ever be like Jesus. But collectively... Yes. We are called the body of Christ. Think about this. So Jesus said, I have to leave my body. I have to leave so that I can send this person, the, God, the power of God, the Holy Spirit, 
so that the body of Christ will be on the earth, but everywhere. But you can't have two bodies of Christ here. Seriously, it's actually that simple. So I leave, and the body of Christ will receive the same spirit that I have, and I will put my righteousness on you, which makes you right-related. Right You're righteous in God's eyes, and then I will put my spirit in you. And collectively in groups and collectively all across the world, there will be an expression of Jesus on the earth. <laughs> it was for them how, God, how Christ defeated death, but we'll get into that next time. You know, they believed that they received the same Holy Spirit who Jesus relied on for ministry when he walked on the earth. And they believed that this Holy Spirit would be to them who Jesus had been. And they believed that they could receive said Holy Spirit because of the spotless lamb that was examined on their behalf. And therefore, with that Holy Spirit, in submission to walking in the Spirit, they could do what he said they could do. And guess what? They weren't wrong. They weren't wrong. I'm going to show you one more verse, and I'm not lying. Where, what am I going to show you? Oh, yes. This verse shocked me a number of years back. You know when they healed the blind, the, the, the lame man and the gate beautiful? Peter and Paul, they, uh, Peter and John, they're going to pray. And verse 4, it's not going to come up behind you. Acts 3, 4, it says, fixing his eyes on him, the lame man, with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What I have. Some people today, if we said that in the church, oh, blasphemy. He's trying to own it like it's him. Peter said, what I have, I give you. But then... <laughs> This is the verse that shocked me. Then they start to almost worship. I mean, it's like they look at Peter like, wow. It says they marvel. How is this possible? Because this man was healed. And then Peter says, Peter is, so verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why look so intently at us as though, as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? That verse rocked my world. He said, what I have I give. And then they said, why do you look at me as if it's my power or godliness? You know that word godliness is the word holiness or piety. He said, you think this has something to do with my character? Do you think I can earn this? You think this has something to do with my lifestyle, my godliness, my piety, my character, my holiness? Oh, no. <laughs> he so firmly believed that Jesus was enough. Jesus made him righteous. That he could receive the Holy Spirit that Jesus had. And he could do the things that Jesus had told him to do. We'll stop there. I'm excited to get into this book with you all. I am praying for you. I mean that. For God to turn your life upside down. And I mean that with kindness. Can we stand?
Father, I thank you for your word. Jesus, I am so grateful that you, that you, Jesus, defeated death, hell, and the grave. And that you make us righteous. I pray, Holy Spirit, that the truth of your baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, would pierce hearts again like it did in the book of Acts. I pray for that. Over these weeks, Holy Spirit, I pray, transform us as people and as a body. In Jesus' name, amen.